Alright? Now, we've been in a... I'm Pastor Fergus. Uh, for those of you who are new and visiting, uh, I pastor this church together with the whole leadership team. That's myself, my wife, Pastor Ramesh and Denise who was just here together with the rest of the leaders. So it's really a joy to have you visit with us. Now today's sermon slides, like every week, uh, you can get it on the QR code in front of you. So the QR code in front of you is not just for giving. Um, it's, uh, it goes to our link tree and from there you can get the entire deck um, right there on your mobile device so you don't have to pull it up, you don't have to take pictures of the screens as well. Um, so yeah, speaking of screens, we've got new projectors. So it's a little clearer, it's sharper now, except that this one is still in 4x3. So this is in 4x3 and the top is a bit cut off sometimes. So this is in, this is in honor of Oppenheimer. <laughs> and the other two screens is the sermon. Yeah, okay, all right. Let's, um, Let's, let's pray as we get into the Word today. Father, we thank you, Lord God, uh, for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your resurrection power. Lord Jesus, we gather on a, on a Sunday because it was on that Sunday, it was on that Sabbath day um, that, that the disciples discovered that the body of their, of their Lord had been risen. And so today, we continue to celebrate resurrection power over every single one of us so that in all the deadness that is doomed that, that, that this mortal coil dooms us to it is not a dooming but it is a celebration because for those of us who are in Christ we too shall be raised into eternal life so Father we thank you we celebrate you in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen now today I want to share with you guys um, uh, uh, about resurrection, right? I really want to share with you guys about new life in Christ, but I'm going to do that through the ending and the closing of our Ecclesiastes series. How many of you guys, you have been here for at least three of the six, right? at least half of the Ecclesiastes series? Can you just throw your hands up? Yeah, so I see that quite about half of you guys have been here for at least half of it, right? Um, it's been uh, quite a journey, if I may say. Ecclesiastes is a difficult book. It asks very difficult questions. It makes very incisive observations about the world we live in. And then it seeks to provide answers as can be best derived so-called under the sun. And so all the answers that Ecclesiastes attempts to give for the existential questions, the big existence questions, the big meaning questions of life will always reach a limit beyond which it cannot provide better answers. And it's only in the New Testament. It is only after the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can see that there is life beyond death, that there is more to what we have than just that four score and four score and ten, right? Um, uh, of, of our days here on earth and then nothing, and then death, and then blackness and nothing, which is really um, one of the attitudes um, that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has. And I'm going to show that to you later in chapter 11. But actually, <laughs> that's where I've, uh, I've had quite a bit of fun with the sermon titles in this series. Today's one is entitled, After the Sun Sets, Only Darkness Awaits. <laughs> Some of you laugh, you get it, right? It's, it's, meant, it's meant to be a bit of a parody um, on, 
on the tone that Ecclesiastes has, which sometimes can be very depressing, you know, something can be very dark, you know, but but guess what? This is actually uh, this is actually paraphrased from chapter eleven. I'll show it to you later, right? Now today I'm not going to be preaching from one text alone. Okay, I'm going to be showing you several pieces of scripture across Ecclesiastes that bring us to the closing of Ecclesiastes. We have seen how the 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 search for pleasure is like vapor. You cannot get it and then it slips out of your hand. We are seeing how the pursuit of success and legacy and, and money and wealth, you know, is like touching smoke. You almost can reach out, it looks almost real, but as soon as you lay hands on it, it slips out of your grasp. If, if also seen how time just comes and goes and comes and goes and even though every day is different over over thousands of years it feels like same same but different you know and and how god has appointed a perfect time for each thing ecclesiastes even goes to the extent of asking is a righteous way of living going to pay off in this life? And the answer might surprise you, right? We engaged this last week. And so we are reaching the end, right? I hope in, as, in, in whatever way possible, we have gone into Ecclesiastes to engage the most difficult, the most troubling parts of it, and we are coming out of it now. In a moment, I'm going to show you chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is right in the middle of, um, of, the, uh, of the book, and it contains a poem. It, it, it's quite a dark poem, okay? Um, but I want us to approach it from a place of hope, from a place of victory, from a place as people who have already been recipients of the resurrection, right? Um, I know the guys at the back are working on the slides. Don't worry too much about it. When you look at chapter 7, you are going to see that God is teaching us that we should not avoid, we should not bypass, but we should face the dark parts of fallen humanity, right? Not to avoid, not to bypass, but to face the darkness in fallen humanity. That's the first part I'm going to take you through. Now, after that, we are going to look at a very, very fascinating part of Ecclesiastes for six times across the first nine chapters of Ecclesiastes, one of the things, one of the lessons, the morals uh, that, uh, of life that the teacher, the Koheleth, uh, 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 proposes is, you know what? You work so hard, you saw this, you saw that, you're so tired. You know what? You know what we should do in life? Eat, drink, and just be merry. Just do that. You know, that's, that's almost like the sum of your life, you know. Just, just eat, drink, and be merry for all the toil, you know, that, 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 that you have put in. That's a very strange, that's a very strange take home, right? Um, and, and later, you're going to see that the, his final landing place, Kohala's final landing place, is different from eat, drink, and be merry. And so we're going to look at this message and see what it's really trying to mean. And then in the final part, right, but really it's about seizing something, right? Seizing some, something like the moment, right? Uh, something like the relational moments that you have right in front of you. Um, and then we're going to end where the ending is, right? Chapters 11 and 12 really take you into this kind of, this passage takes you into old age, takes you into 
growing uh, into the deterioration into the into the whole thing of death dying parting um, and decline and we're going to see that the word over that that whole section is remember your creator right remember your creator and so we'll take we'll go into we'll end Ecclesiastes this way right and very soon I'm going to show you chapter 7 but before we go into that Right? I was just really moved um, during the worship just now um, and, I, and I'm just so moved by, by the bridge for here I bow all over again, right? And so I, I just really wanted us to just still our hearts and enter into the Word today from a place of knowing that we are anchored in Christ, in the victory of Christ and the God of heaven and earth has brought you and I back to life. Amen. Now, I just want us to, to just take a moment. Let's just, let's just worship. Okay? You don't have to stand. You don't have to rise. Just keep your eyes. Just, just close your eyes. You can open your hands. You can raise your hand a little. And let's just worship. Just lift up a song before the Lord. God here and now be lifted high. Lord here and now be glorified God of heaven and earth God who brought me back to life I am yours forever yours oh God here God here and now be lifted high right here and now be glorified God of heaven and earth God who brought me back to life I am yours forever yours Father, we thank you that you are the God of heaven. You are the God of earth. And, and we are living in times where you are, you, your word over us is that, is that the kingdom of God shall be unleashed on earth. It shall be enacted on earth as it is enacted in heaven. And so, Father, you are the God of heaven and earth. Lord God, so our prayer today on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's plunge into chapter the seven poem, right? And it sounds like this. A good name is better than precious ointment. Now, up to this point, it's still okay, all right? Up to this point, it's still okay. And then after this, it becomes very dark. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. At, when I read this recently at this point, I paused, I took my pencil, I drew a big circle uh, um, around this line uh, in, my, in my Bible and I wrote on the margins like, what on earth? Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, right? Okay, so, so let's, let's slowly wade our way through this. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart made, is made glad. Uh, you know the, the Jackie Chan meme, like, 
right? Okay, you know that one, okay? That, that was my reaction. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. In other words, the laughter of fools, it all burns up, right? To feel something else, right? But in itself, it burns up. Verse 7, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of this word. Verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. For any of you guys who have not enjoyed this Ecclesiastes series, you're going to say amen to that, okay? And the series is ending. Thank God. We can go back to Acts. We can be positive again. No, but really... Um, uh, I spent a long time sitting in this chapter 7 poem. Now, it's not the, all of chapter 7. It goes on after this. But this is the part I wanted to show you. And I was asking the Lord, why is this so dark? What's it trying to say? You know, why, why is the house of mourning better than, you know, the house of feasting and joy? Aren't we supposed to be joyful? Didn't you read Psalm 150? Is it, aren't we supposed to shout to the Lord a song of praise? And aren't we supposed to be full of gladness for, our, for the joy we have? Even, not just, not just post-resurrection Christians. I know why we can be joyful, but even in their time, right? In the time of, of um, the kings, if, if Solomon, in fact, is the one who wrote this, his own father was full of joy when he entered the house of the Lord, right? Where, what is he trying to say? And my mind went back to the most famous psalm of all, of course, Psalm 23. And this particular line here, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, right? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this helps me to make sense of that chapter 7 poem. Because what this verse reminds me of is that God does not get us to bypass these valleys of shadows of death. I want to say that again so you can catch it and really catch it into your spirit. God, our God, our Christian God does not take us to bypass valleys of shadows of death. He takes us through valleys of shadows of death. It is not the same thing. And it's very important you know it's not the same thing. Because if you think, it's, it's, if you think that God airlifts us out from the place, the, the boundary line of trouble, and He lifts us and He drops us in this safe, secure place, and He helps us to bypass all the pain and all the grief and all the suffering and all the trial and all of the and all of the tribulation if he does that then we don't grow and if he does that we don't change we're not transformed by doing difficult things and trusting in the lord and if that is your idea of god you're likely going to be very disappointed not just with life for being so sheer hard, but you're going to be disappointed with God for being 
so sheer cruel almost, right? To take you through something like that. But that is not God's heart to be cruel. God takes you through all these things because in fallen humanity, everyone goes through trial, hardness, difficulty, sadness. No one gets a free pass. But what we do get is to pass through it with the Lord with us. He walks with us. He says that you shall not fear the evil of the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, there is evil there. Because if there's no evil there, there's no need for you to not fear something that is not there. It is there. You will pass through passageways of life where there is evil, darkness, danger, horrors. And God says, do not fear these things. I am with you. My rod, my staff comfort you. And so we go back to some of these verses and say, what's the alternative? What? Okay, I'm going to show it to you in a, in a simplified form, right? Simplified form, show up. All right. Day of death, better than day of birth. The house of mourning, better than the house of feasting. Sorrow, better than laughter, and so on, right? You see the equations. What's it trying to say? Now, before we look, ask why this, maybe it's good we start with, what's the problem with pursuing only the happy parts of life and chasing that kick, chasing that high like a hit, like, a, like, an, like an addict searching for the next... You know, fix. Yeah, that's the word, fix, right? And if you're jumping from one house of feasting to the next house of feasting, to the next house of feasting, looking for laughter, looking for mirth, looking to just avoid, ignore, and step away from the difficult parts of life. Now, I think that the Koheleth, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, is trying to tell us something. He's trying to say that that is an empty way of living. Just jumping from one thing to the one, hap, one, one good piece of news and then you're searching for the next one. You're searching for the next one and all around you may be carnage and brokenness but you're ignoring it. You're like, I just want to find the next good story. Right? Now, God is not in unreality. God is in reality. And so if all, I was just sharing this with, 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 with some of the people we're journeying with, that if all you want is to be trapped inside this bubble, this bubblegum life that you have, right, where all you get is an affirmation that everything is good, everything is fine, and you are winning, you know, and, and, and you keep faking it to be making it, you know, and, then, and, and everything sustains itself in this kind of self-regenerating kind of like, fakery that things are great and that is what Ecclesiastes is trying to say you keep jumping from one to another you're just like thorns under the, in the fire of a, a, a you know burning up the bowl all this is going to burn up right it will be nothing and so what is Ecclesiastes trying to say to us what are we supposed to learn is not to bypass but to face it Right? To face it with God, to face it with Christ, to face it now for us today in post-resurrection uh, uh, human history with the assurance of something beyond death. Right? Assurance that there is more to life 
than this. Okay? So we don't live just under the sun. We also have a life where we live under the S-O-N, under the Son of God, right? And beyond the sun and the solar kind of like existence that we have. Okay? So that's the first thing. I wanted to show you chapter 7 that is, t- tells us to teach us to face the darkness in life. Now, I want to move from here to all the mirth and all the joy and all the feasting, right? Because it's almost like, dude, you are, you, you are undermining yourself here, right? Um, eat, drink, and be merry, right? You see it six times in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. I've given you the f- first the first instance reads like this, there is nothing better for a person, nothing better. It's quite a... It's, it, okay, maybe he's speaking hyperbolically, like, like, oh, there is nothing better than, you know, uh, fried chicken on a Sunday night or something like that. I mean, we know there are better things, it's just a way of talking, right? Um, but, but it's quite strong. There is nothing better for a person than that he... And I assume it's also he and she, okay? So girls, you are included, right? Then that he or she, that y'all should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your toil. And just so you can fact check me, the other five instances, I've put it down in a smaller text, you know. Um, we are not going to read them all. They read very similar one by one. If you have it in your, uh, if you have it on your mobile device, you can pinch and you can read it for yourself, all right? Now, what's going on here? Right Now, the first thing you got to know is you should look at the context. The larger context around every time the Kohelef, the teacher, talks about just go eat, drink, be merry, right? Uh, one thing we got to know, he's talking about toil. It always comes in the context of all your hard work. So it's not talking about the context of finding meaning in life, you know. It's a counterpoint to all the talk and the discussion around you labour so hard, you work so hard, your working hours are 7 in the morning until 8 the next morning, right? Um, you don't get to sleep, right? Uh, you're, 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 you're smashed every day, uh, you're serving something that will not be yours and it goes on and it goes on. I'm contextualising it, of course, to all of your lives, right? And then he says, in the context of this endless Sisyphean, you all remember Sisyphus, right? When I showed you, this is the is the is the Greek demigod who has to push the boulder up the 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 the, the, the mountain, and just before he can lay to rest each day, it slips out of his grip. Havel, Havelim, Hakol. Havel. It rolls all the way back down and Sisyphus has to go back down and the next morning start pushing it all the way up again. That I believe feels like a lot of our day jobs, right? And that, I believe, also feels like your dishes and your laundry. It just never ends, right? Never enough, right? Um, and so, what, what the Koheleth is trying to say is in all of this toil, can you take a moment? Can you seize moments in all this toil to enjoy the fruit of your labour? Or are you working and not able to? And this is a re- recurrent theme throughout, right? You work so hard, but someone else enjoys your, 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 your fruits, right? You, you work so hard, someone else harvests, someone else eats, you don't get to eat. You work until the day you die, right? And what he's trying to say is a counterpoint to this overworking disease that is not new. We are not the first generation to work ourselves to the ground. Clearly, they worked themselves to the ground as well. And so, if I may... See, I don't want to jump 
away from Ecclesiastes to some New Testament text too quickly, such to the, to the effect that we almost undermine Ecclesiastes as the Word of God. I don't want to undermine Ecclesiastes as the Word of God, even though there are parts of Scripture elsewhere that give us more complete answers in light of Jesus, His birth, life, death, resurrection. It's true, right? But I don't want to undermine it by jumping off it too quickly. Why? Because there is wisdom to be mined. And I want to mine the wisdom before I get us to move on. What is this trying to say? This whole... Just take a moment, man. Pause. Eat. Drink. Enjoy life a bit. What's it trying to say? I believe it's trying to say something like this. Be present. Right? Because if you're constantly working, you're always looking forward to the future. You're thinking about the bank balance. You're thinking about accruing more. You're thinking about the next opportunity. You're always thinking of either that or you're thinking of the past, right? You're stuck in a, in a, in a previous failure um, that you are driving yourself forward. That drives you forward in order to overcome, right? Or you're stuck in a past uh, uh, success, right? And still reliving those glory days and, and maybe being in paralysis for now, right? But what the Koheleth is saying is don't just have your eyes fixed on the horizon constantly until all you're always looking at is tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow's bread, tomorrow's success, tomorrow's deal, tomorrow's thing. And then when you get to tomorrow, guess what? You're not looking at that day. You're looking at that day's tomorrow, right? So you're always looking so far ahead and you miss out on the beauty that is around you if you were to pause, snap out of it, be present. And this is a very precious thing for us to remember. And I don't have a teaching, but I have an example for you. And the example we have, we shall share it together next week when we take communion at the King's table, right? When Jesus had His supper with His disciples, I feel such a sense of presence, such a sense of being there. He's not, he's, his mind could have been on the cross. Huh? He had every right to have his mind, um, you know, you and I, when we are worried and anxious about something happening tomorrow morning, our minds are there, right? We can be walking through and our, our loved ones can be trying to catch our attention and we're like, sorry man, I'm just not here. Why? I'm, a, I'm thinking about tomorrow. Tomorrow's meeting, right? I have to go down to Putrajaya. I've got a big meeting. I've got to meet this client. I've got to do this, right? And we're always concerned about Jesus had every right that day to be just glazed, dazed and confused and con concerned. But He wasn't, you see. When He sat down with His disciples, it is not just the account of the supper when he said, you know, this is my body, this is my cup. Go read John chapter 13 when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples as they came in for dinner that night, right? And then he, he, he took the cloth off his waist, right? And dried their feet and washed their feet and how he sat down with them and he gave that whole little sharing about I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Abide in me, as I abide in you. There is a strong sense of presence and, uh, and presence not just like Holy Spirit presence is here. It's He is present. He is eye-contacting you. He is listening to you. And He is not elsewhere. He is not listening to answer. He is listening to hear. 
and he's sharing with them things that are happening right there and then. There's such a strong power of being present in the example of Jesus when he gave them that supper. And so I believe that if we are called to learn something from this, I believe the lesson is really to appreciate those moments. I know that in our culture, we have a saying, right? Stop and smell the roses, right? We, we, we know this thing. I didn't put it on the screen. But it's a little bit like knowing how to appreciate the moment and I'm using it in a different context, to love the one you're with, right? We use this expression, to love the one you're with, to speak about fidelity, right? And to love the person that you, you have chosen. But, but I would like to use it differently here. Love the one you're with can also mean, in this context, to show love to the person who's right there with you at any one time. Not to just be elsewhere, here but not here, but to love whoever God has put into your path and appreciate their presence and to be there for them and to break bread and enjoy a moment together. Because the rest of Ecclesiastes is going to remind us, so fleeting. These moments just come and go and we don't know when they can come back again. On this note, I just want to remind us that on Mother's Day, I shared something and I know that quite a lot of you guys uh, spoke to you. I shared with you guys that I read somewhere that we have a finite number of times we're going to do everything, anything. You can just think about it, right? And I'm just going to say, there's a finite number of times I'm going to be able to have dinner with my parents. There is a number. I don't, it might be a very big number, right? I don't know what that number is. But every time I have dinner with my parents, that number drops by one. And I don't know, because I don't know that number... I actually don't know how to budget how frequently I should go and, 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 and have a meal with them. Now, here's the thing. We often overestimate how big that number might be. And so, I also have a finite number of times. How, much, how many times I'm going to carry Eleanor during worship. I mean, some of you see me, I'm always carrying Eleanor during worship. And before I know it, she's going to be just too heavy for me to keep doing that or she's just going to be too big and it's a bit inappropriate. I don't carry you, Isabel, during worship, right? And, and, uh, and I, you know what? I don't remember the last time I carried Isabel like that. I don't remember. There was a last time and that time was the last time and I've not carried her like that ever since. And I think Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us to pause, be present, to love the ones around you and appreciate these moments because even if we're not talking about a death proposition, a growing older proposition, a moving away proposition, a changing proposition, all of these things cause us to put pause and to bear, to bear mind, to give mind to it. But, but let's, just, let's just think about this just a little bit, right? Because I'm, I phrased it for you in the, in the most humane way possible, right? But not everybody hears this and takes it in the most humane way possible, right? I think sometimes we see this and the very expression, eat, drink, be merry, live it up, comes from here, okay? It comes from here. And so, 
And so, yes, a lot of people do look at this verse and say, let's party, let's just have fun. Life is nothing more than just one party after the next, which we'll cover in the first point, right? But let's just live it up, you know? And just so you know, um, even in the times of the Old Testament, the, the prophets were already engaging and giving counter-commentary. Right um, to, to something that would have been known in the book of Ecclesiastes. Isaiah in chapter 22 says, In that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning. By the way, we're going to be launching 40 days of fasting and praying next week. Okay, We're going to be launching 40 days of fasting and praying and it is a season of consecration. It is a season of, of um, bringing yourself before God to hear and to hear seriously, to pursue, to mengejar hadimu, right? Dalam hidupku, right? To pursue Him. And it comes at a price and it will come at pengorbanan of something, you know, so that in the place of that something, you invest and pour into God. And it comes at that deprivation so that you can get something else. And so, what Isaiah is saying here is, in seasons where you should have been fasting, praying, or in this case, weeping and mourning, seasons of baldness and wearing sackcloth, that's how the ancient Jews used to mourn. They would shave their heads, you know, so they would choose being bald over being toothless, right? Um, and in seasons like that, what were these guys doing? They were indulging, right? Behold, what do I find? Joy, gladness, killing oxen, slaughtering sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. It's almost as if Isaiah is going to come down from the mountain and see them celebrating around the golden calf. Do you get that feeling? Do you get a feeling? It's such an inappropriate response. You're expecting uh, a reverence uh, um, and, and what you get is something so discordant. So, 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 you know, clashing with what you're expecting. And that's when Isaiah says, that's what you all say, right? While you are having your joy and gladness and killing oxen, slaughtering sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. And Isaiah is commenting on the wrong understanding of something like that verse in Ecclesiastes. Because if you read that verse in Ecclesiastes, it's not encouraging you to indulge in hedonistic party-going. It's not. And Isaiah is telling the people of Israel, don't think you've read Ecclesiastes correctly and that gives you a license to live, to, 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 to live indulgently. He's saying that there will be a time for weeping, mourning, baldness, sackcloth. And if Isaiah were to do this differently, he may very well bust out Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and say, See, the very verse that's driving you into your party going, the very book also says there is an appropriate time for everything. A time for embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time for laughter and a time for mourning as well. And so, everything then is made beautiful in its time. And it is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, that Paul layers on another commentary on this idea of eat, drink, be merry, just go live it up, right? He says, if Christ had not been raised, so, it's a, it's a, so the issue here is there's a relationship between your 
your indulgent merrymaking and resurrected people. Okay, there's a relationship between the two. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then, those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, if Jesus was not resurrected, we're doomed. Okay, what's he saying? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, now I'm going to blend Paul and Ecclesiastes. If in Christ, we only have hope under the sun. If in Christ, we only can find joy under the sun, right? Then we are of all people to be most pitied because if the dead are not raised, then what's there? Eat, drink, tomorrow we die, right? And so I didn't want you to finish Ecclesiastes, see this eat, drink, be merry, eat, drink, be merry, and not be able to see the other the prophets, Isaiah, right? Um, the apostle Paul, engaging with the same text, right? And having something to say about what is the correct posture for us to carry. As resurrected people, as resurrected people, this is not our hope. And this is not our way of life. As resurrected people, we eat, we drink, we bless one another, we enjoy those moments and we seize them, right? Because we don't know how many we'll have. But we live for a higher calling that goes beyond this existence. Amen? And so, Ecclesiastes goes on to say this, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. In other words, morning, morning, morning sow, uh, okay, work hard for it, okay? Morning got sun, under the sun, this is an under the sun passage, okay? In morning, sow. In evening, don't withhold your hand. In other words, continue working, do something. Do something, do anything, right? Okay? For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And then he says this, the sunlight. Okay, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, picture of the sun. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Let's pause that. Okay, he's saying that while if you live life under the sun, then while you have the sun, it is good. Light is sweet, it's sweet to the eyes, right? Okay, and therefore, morning, so you'll see it, because in morning you have light. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So, if a person lives many years, in other words, you've seen a lot of mornings, you have sown a lot because of mornings, and you have lived many years being in the light, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember, and this is the part, this Ecclesiastes language, right? Let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. In other words, when does darkness happen? Under the sun, when the sun sets. It's actually here in chapter 11 that I that I got the sermon title for today, right? After the sun sets, only darkness awaits. There's an attitude you have if you don't have something beyond this existence. But, he goes on to say this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. This is strange advice. This feels almost like unbiblical advice. Walk in the ways of your heart, and the sight of your eyes. Now, we all know as Bible students, good Bible students, right, um, that we walk by faith, not by sight, right? We all know that when Abraham and Lot separated, Lot walked by sight, right? Oh, so plenty, I like, right? And Abraham was like, I'll take the rest, right? And, um, and we know who was blessed. So we understand 
as Christians in church long enough for some of us, and for those of us who are newer to being in church, you know, you will soon, you know, uh, hear it more than once, you know, that we walk by faith, not by sight, that the eyes can fool us. And so what is this saying, right? Young men, in your youth, let your heart cheer you, right? Walk in the ways of your heart. Whatever you want, go for it. Whatever your eyes see, have it. Hey, this sounds like Ecclesiastes chapter 1, right? But know that for all these things, you want to go chase after your heart's desire? Chase lah. You want to chase after your eye's desire? Chase lah. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So, this is a lesson not to cherry pick verse with no context and then say, oh, Bible's teaching this. It's not. It's not. It is rhetorically saying to you, if you want to chase all these things, yeah, go for it. But just so you know, you understand what he's doing? Yeah, go for it. But just so you know, God will bring you to account for the way you've chosen to live your life. And then he says this, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are also havel. Even youth comes and goes. It's so slippery, you can't get it. So, what does the New Testament have to say about this, right? 1 Corinthians 15, again, Paul continues saying this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Because we see what Ecclesiastes is trying to say is that after, when the sun sets, that's it. It's just darkness, right? You go to Sheol, right? The Jewish understanding of death. You go to Sheol and it's just darkness there forever. And because that's as far as it goes, it is, of course, it is unjust that you live righteously and another fellow lives wickedly and both go to Sheol. Of course, it's unjust, right? And so, when that is all there is to it, then, of course, your, your, your thinking is when the sun sets, it's all over. But because we are resurrected people, Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. It goes to Sheol. But what is raised from Sheol, what is raised from the realm of the dead is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a supernatural body. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so every single one of us have been called upon by God to be people who extend and enact the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's our calling as Christians, right? The kingdom of God is in our midst. But flesh and blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Then what, right? Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So if you struggle with a debilitating illness, you will be transformed. It may or may not happen in this life, but your resurrected body will not struggle and will not suffer from some kind of debilitating illness. If you struggle with some kind of, with some kind of neurodivergence, your resurrected mind will not struggle with neurodivergence. If you struggle with all kinds of uncertainty about your identity, who you are, 
Well, let me have you know that your resurrected body will not struggle with those things. You will be in perfect alignment with Christ who created you and formed you and knit you beautifully and wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. He will recreate you and retransform you so that when your perishable is it actually perishes, then the imperishable comes alive. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death, where is your sting? Right? Death indeed is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the resurrection resurrected Lord Jesus. And so my friends, as we go through Ecclesiastes, there are many parts that it will point us towards aging, death, decay, decline. But let us remember that these things can age. These perishable body can decline. Please don't, please don't try to stave off that decline as if it cannot happen, right? And you're like, Madonna, right? You're like, it's like 60 and you look, trying to look like you're 18, you know, and, and, and try, I'm trying to make a material girl pun, but it's just not coming. Never mind. Let it go, right? Your perishable body can perish. It should perish. If it doesn't perish, the imperishable cannot take over. And we are all waiting for the imperishable to take over. Let our hopes be in the imperishable, not in the prolonging of the perishable. Amen? So by all means, seize the moment. By all means, take those little windows to be present, active, and love the one you're with. But above all things, be seized by the power that you of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you are no longer trying so hard to prolong something that is doomed to decay in the end anyway. So I blow church. Are we on the same page? So I blow church, if we're not on the same page, then you're going to try to do what um, Mary and the other Mary and the other Mary did on that Sunday morning, bringing herbs and spices to the tomb of Jesus, trying to prolong the, de trying to prolong the, 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 the body and trying to prevent, uh, delay the decay of his body, right? But they were, their vision was earthly, right? There's a dead body, I want to delay the decay, right? I bring all these things to try to make it last longer. But Jesus had a different plan. Jesus' plan was he was already resurrected so that when the angel met them at the tomb, the angel said, why do you search for the living among the dead? You know what? They weren't searching for the living. They were searching for the dead. They had brought herbs and spices to embalm the body of Jesus further because they were expecting to find a dead body. They instead found resurrected Jesus, beseized above all things by that. And it's on that note, I want to bring us to the very end of Ecclesiastes, chapters 11, chapter 12. We started today by looking at chapter 7. And we saw how God is saying to us, don't bypass dark things in life. Life is dark. Face them, right? Face them, I'm with you. He says that, yes, eat, drink, be merry, take moments to seize uh, the, 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 the joy of having one another and break bread together, fellowship. Right? But don't go live it up. That's the wrong idea. 
right? And here as we come to the close, we say, he says, remember your creator. Now I'm going to read this because it's another very beautiful poem. Okay, for those of you who are gaining in years, you might be able to catch the metaphors. Okay, for the young folks here, you may be like, what's that? What's it trying to mean, right? Let's read. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, it's your teeth, huh? Your grinders cease because they are few. It's your teeth. Your, all your molars start to go, right? And those who look through the windows are dim. That's your eyes, your cataracts. Yeah, praise God for those who got their cataracts done. Praise God, right? Um, my mom also just got her cataracts done, you know? So praise God. But aging does that to you, right? Um, uh, everything starts to become foggy. And if not in your physical eyes, maybe in your thinking as well. The, uh, the, the, those who look through the windows, right? They are dim. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. How many of y'all wake up multiple times at night, you know, or you or the slightest kind of disturbance, you wake up because you can't get... You can't get proper sleep anymore, right? You wake up too early, you sleep too late. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. You and I know when you're older, you shouldn't be stepping on the stool to take things that are high, right? You, a fall can be very bad when you're older. They are afraid of what is high. Things from the top can fall. And terrors are in the way. If you live with someone older, please make sure you don't leave things on the floor, okay? Yeah, it's, it's, you don't want to make this verse come true for them, right? Terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms. That's the white hair, right? All the, all, all the white leaves and white fruit, right? All the white hair shows up, right? <laughs> By the way, I, I would like to say this in front of you guys. When my hair starts going grey, I would like to not dye black. I like to think that a head of grey, greying white hair um, will look very distinguished. And I have good reason for having those thoughts. <laughs> the almond trees blossom. The grasshopper drags itself along. Now, I really don't understand the metaphor on that one. We can just let that one pass first. The leg, right? The, the leg, you just drag your feet through life. It's like you, you're failing, right? There's just a picture of decline. And desire fails. This is a sexual desire thing, yeah? Okay, just so, just so we are not unclear, yeah? Because man is going to his eternal home already, right? Just, he just, yeah. And the mourners go about the street because... There was a season in your life you attended all your friends' weddings and then there's another season in your life where you attend all your friends' other, other occasions, right? And hear this, before the silver cord, four pictures here, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember your Creator in your youth. Don't wait until this poem 
is your reality before you start remembering your Creator. And that's a powerful place to get to near the end because it speaks about aging, decline, separation. And I know some of you have had to bury your friends before. You've had to go there and see them go, right? And it's hard. And uh, Thalia reminded me of this poem. Um, uh, it's one of, I think it's one of her favourites. Um, and, and when I saw it, it just reminded me so much of, of Ecclesiastes 12. Um, sorry, before I go to the poem. Chapter 12 is an ode to endings. It's an ode to mortality and parting and decay and decline and eventually it's an ode to death. It's a song about death, right? But this poem by Richard Seacon, is it Seacon? Someone has to leave first. This is a very old story. There is no other version of this story. And that spoke very much to me because I've had to part with people I've had to let go of people. I've had to say goodbye to people. But it's part of the passage of all our living on earth under the sun, it eventually reaches a place where we reach a place of parting and ending. Someone has to leave first. And we don't get to choose. And it's the oldest story that there is. But I'm going to take you through this again. And I want to show you what Koheleth is trying to say, remember your creator, right? In the days of your youth, before the evil day comes and the years draw near, right? And then you will say, I have no pleasure, right? Because you can't find pleasure in those days anymore, right? The sun sets, the sun and light and the moon and stars, they're all darkened. We go on. I just want to take you all the way near the end, right? The grasshopper drags itself, the desire fails, man is going to his home already. He's reaching his eternal home. And the mourners go about the street, and then you see four pictures here. The four pictures are these. Before, number one, the silver cord is snapped. Number two, the golden bowl is broken. Number three, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Number four, the wheel is broken at the cistern. And then he ends, okay? And the dust returns to earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Verse 8, which I did not show you just now because I didn't want to distract you. Koheleth ends by saying, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, right? Havel, Havelim, Hakol, Havel. Exactly the same words that he started Ecclesiastes with. He ends it here. And then it ends. That's it. Ecclesiastes, as the teacher is reciting it, ends here. But I want to take you first into these four pictures because I think they're very powerful. Now, if you were to search for this, you know, there's quite a lot of strange stuff on Google. You know, you can Google it up on the internet. You know, um, some people say that, oh, um, the silver cord is the pituitary gland and this and that. Like, look, look okay, you want to go look at it, you know, and, and read it. Up to you, okay? Go make, make up your mind on it, right? But it's poetic language, it's poetry, it's metaphors for things. For your silver cord to be snapped, it's that thing that animates you, right? That, that kind of like a spiritual line that God continues to use to animate you as a living being. That one gets cut, right? So it's poetic language, okay? I'm not saying that there is actually like a line, okay? okay? But that line gets cut and you die, right? 
For the golden bowl to be broken, it's as if to say that all the value, all the worthwhile things, all the, the best that you have, all of it gets smashed, right? All of it, 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 it you, can't, you can't use it anymore. And it's very similar to the picture that is smashed at the fountain, but that one's a really, that's a fantastic picture because when the pitcher goes to the fountain, it contains water. But when the pitcher is smashed, you can't contain anything anymore. And that's, a, that's an expression of death. When you die, you can't contain anything. You can't contain the words of the living anymore. You can't contain ideas anymore. You can't contain compassion and love and effort and all these things anymore. Right? When you die, the pitcher is just shattered. And that's all you have, just broken glass. Right? And this last one, it ends. Koheleth ends on this picture. The wheel at the cistern is broken. Now the cistern is like a well, right? There's water underneath. And there's a wheel. And there's a bucket connected to the wheel. You lower the wheel. You turn the wheel. You lower the bucket to bring water up. And the picture that you should see here is the bucket all the way up. The wheel on the cistern breaks. And the bucket just falls. It falls down. And you look over into the cistern and it's just darkness. And the bucket falls into that darkness. You don't even see it land. You may not even hear it land. And Koheleth ends Ecclesiastes talking about death with his, and his heartbreaking, beautiful poetry. Saying that when you die, just fall into things, into spaces of darkness that you just cannot see. The living will look and they cannot see its end. And I'll just, just rest on that because there's a power to just taking stock of our mortality. And if we rush this through, I think we would not be doing Ecclesiastes justice. I think the Koheleth wants us all to take stock of just how fragile our mortality is, our lives are. And on that note, he ends. He stops preaching. He stops teaching and if you need a picture, a visual way to see this, it's as if Koheleth is on the stage. He's been teaching from chapter 1, verse 2 onwards, right? And then the moment he says, Havel, Havelim, Hakol, Havel, he walks off stage. And there's just smoke and an empty stage. And that's it. On one, in one sense, Ecclesiastes has ended because the teacher has walked out. And then the audience stares at a scene that looks a bit like this and goes like, oh my goodness, what just hit us, right? And then the author walks onto stage. He's like the service director, like Denise today, right? Service director comes back up and gives a summary closing, right? And the author comes back on stage and says this, besides being wise, Koheleth, the preacher, also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. That's one of the clues that it was indeed Solomon, right? The preacher sought to find words of delight. He sought to find words of delight. What did he find? And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. So it's not saying that the words of truth are not words of delight. What he's saying is that he sought after words of delight. He went after the water in the topsoil. But in the end, what he found was the spring of water coming up from underneath, right? He found instead words of truth. 
the words of the, of the wise, these words of truth, are like goats, right? They are like guides, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And at this time, they didn't know who that shepherd was. They just know that Messiah will come one day. This is their one shepherd. This is the true teacher behind Koheleth. And then he says this, my son. And this tells us, Ecclesiastes is indeed speaking from an older man to a younger man or an older generation to a younger one, right? Remember your creator in your youth, my son? Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh, right? So he's, he's paraphrasing the tone of Koheleth. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then, even the author walks off the stage. And then it ends, right? Now, I would like to invite the worship team to come on stage. Because I want us to rest on this thought. Fear God, keep His commandments. Fear God, keep His commandments. Your whole duty is fear God, keep His commandments. And I don't know if this resonates with you, or maybe it feels a little bit cold, a bit distant. I know I told you all on the first week of Ecclesiastes that I didn't like the ending of Ecclesiastes the first time I, the first time I, uh, I read it. I felt that the summary was too oversimplified. After giving you so many difficult problems and wading us through it all, the conclusion is just, oh, just like that. Fear God, keep His commandments, you know. And at that time, it wasn't satisfying. But I've since come to learn that this is as far as Koheleth knows how to go. Or this is as far as the author knows how to go, taking Koheleth's words and, and, and summarizing things. But I want you to know what else is the whole duty of man. Because Jesus spoke about the commandments. Jesus said, Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus said, Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And for some of you who experience self-loathing and you're really hard on yourself, and I'm not just thinking about one or two of you, I know that quite a lot of you are that kind. You need to hear God say to you, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love yourself as you would love your neighbour. It's the same thing. And being too hard on yourself is ungodly. And being hard on other people is, can also be ungodly. Love your neighbour as you would love yourself. Love yourself as you would love your neighbour. And he says, all the commandments hang on these two. So you want to keep his commands. You want to fear the Lord. You want to know that he exists. You want to live as if a true judgment will come. An accountability day will come. If that's our heart's posture, then I want to encourage you. Indeed, yes, be present. Love one another. Love your Lord with all your heart, all your soul. Be present to God, not just to men. Father, we belong to you, O oh God. 
we belong and are counted among the people of the resurrection, O God. Father, You are the God of heaven and earth. You brought us back to life, Lord God. For once, Lord God, we were doomed to go to Sheol and after that, just darkness, but not anymore. Today, we are counted as the people who will trade in the perishable in exchange for the imperishable, O God. And today, Lord God, we can celebrate the resurrection of King Jesus happening in our very lives so that if a kernel were to fall, much will grow from that kernel's falling. And so, Father, we give you back all the glory. We give you back all the praise, all the thanks, and all our love. Lord Jesus, right now, Sungai Bulo Church is present before you. Even as you have your presence before us, we say before you, O Lord God, right here, right now, this is our love offering to you that we would love you with all our thinking all our feeling all our doing and all our strength and we will use that kind of loving to love one another and so Father this is our worship to you so Lord, may you separate us now from the gathering with your blessing. But as you separate us, may you unite us in your life eternal and in your resurrection. So Lord Jesus, may you bless our people. May you keep our people. May you turn your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May you lift up your countenance to us. Be gracious and may you lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace and shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. All of God's people say, Amen. Now the slide is going to go up. There's the food behind the veil. We get to celebrate life together. You know, for those of you who are online, I really want to invite you to join us physically one of these days. So I hope you can join us. Until then, see you guys. We love you. If you brought your bag, try to bring your bag with you because we might be turning this part around, you know. And remember, next week, King's Table. Come and make this your lunch. Amen. Thanks. <laughs>